The other day I was watching Grease the musical, and happily singing along and dancing solo dad moves to it in my room. You know, summer loving, had me a blast. But I started thinking more carefully about the two main characters' relationship with each other. You've got Sandy, who's very innocent, shy and pure, and then Danny, who's much more confident, and he's like the cool kid who breaks all the rules. And it got me thinking about this notion that opposites attract, and whether that's really true. Obviously, in movies such as Grease, we're often led to believe that opposites do attract, and the innocent one will inevitably fall for the bad one. But I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I definitely think a lot of the time when it comes to opposites attract, you have to question how opposite these opposites actually are. They usually come from relatively similar upbringings, and the only things that are really opposite about them are their surface interests and not actually, you know, any of their core values. But as we talked about this common romantic trope, we started thinking about love more broadly, and we thought it would be the perfect topic for our 10th episode, also known as the last episode of the first season of Mildly Scandalous Takes on Humanity. So we hope you enjoy this episode, which, like I said, is going to be all about love. When we were researching possible topics to talk about in our episode, we came across this list of thought-provoking questions, and quite a few of those were related to love. So we have to admit, we didn't think of all these questions ourselves, but I think there's a lot of food for thought here regardless. And actually, while making this episode, I am in none other than what is commonly considered to be the city of love, the home of romance itself, that is, Venice. And so the topic of love has been on my mind a lot while walking past all these couples strolling along the canals around me. I feel this episode is very timely considering my location. To start off with, Yasmin, is love solely a biochemical response to specific measurable sets of stimuli? I mean, technically, all our feelings come from our brain and are produced from, you know, chemical reactions and neurotransmitters and all that good stuff. But... Just because we know it comes from a very real, practical place doesn't make the feelings any less real. And even if the same chemical reaction is happening in my brain as the person next to me, and we love the same person, the things we love about this person might be completely different, or the kind of love we have for this person might be completely different as well. So I don't think that you can say love is just solely a chemical reaction. Or rather, even that any feeling comes solely from biology, because emotions and feelings are so hugely influenced by people and social factors and not just biological ones, you know? But on a slight side note, I always find it interesting how even though technically all our feelings and things come from our brain, you know, we chose the heart, uh, that organ, to attribute not just feelings, but specifically the feeling of love to. And I, I just find it funny sometimes to imagine a world where you know, this feeling of love was chosen to be attributed to something like the stomach, because yes, they probably chose the heart because one of the obvious signs when you love someone in a romantic way is that your heart beats faster. But the whole butterflies in the stomach thing makes me think that maybe the stomach could have been chosen. Maybe what it not that crazy to think that the symbol of love could have easily been the stomach and not the heart? I just find it quite strange. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Imagine saying, I'm stomach broken. Or, my stomach is catching feelings. And I think, you know, perhaps simple attraction based on first impressions alone, etc. 
maybe slightly chemically stimuli-influenced. But love is about so much more than that, I think. <laughs> I, I think that when you truly love someone, it's impossible to summarise that love in a mere brain reflex. Because love is largely based on experiences and all the conversations you've had with someone, all the hard times you've had together and all the times you've laughed and all the times you've cried. And therefore, it's a much broader, richer feeling than just a chemical part of the brain. I like to think of it as a cushion. It's a metaphor I came up with that merely physical attraction is the surface of the cushion, just the appearance of it on first glance. But actual love is the richness that makes up the inside, all the feathers within. And also, I think it's worth noting that love can be in so many forms, even romantic love. The love someone might experience with someone in the first year of knowing them might be a completely different kind of love as 40 years later. So it'd be impossible to define this feeling love as a single set of stimuli, even if it were chemically based, because love is constantly changing, it's sort of fluid and evolving. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is that even simple initial attraction is impossible to be based purely on a chemical. And that's because attraction is influenced so much by society and the wider context. There are so many factors which play into it. For example, I always think about what if society's beauty standards were totally opposite to, to today's beauty standards in every way. The people we'd feel physically attracted to would probably look totally different. And, and that just shows how it's not just a chemical that's being released upon initial attraction, but rather a variety of complex judgments and subconscious bias and the interaction of everything that's been figuratively fed to you from infanthood, which makes even attraction alone, if you take love out of the equation, much less clear-cut than a mere chemical. I guess another question we can ask about love is whether it's a feeling, like we kind of implied in the previous section, whether it's a choice to actively love someone. I think to some extent love is both a choice and a feeling. I think it's not so much that love is a choice, but rather letting yourself love. For instance, sometimes you might feel yourself beginning to develop feelings for someone which might be bad for whatever reason. Either you have exams coming up or the situation might have negative consequences. And you might choose to suppress those feelings to prevent them from blooming into anything more. And so I definitely think that allowing yourself to love someone is a choice. It's possible to choose to deny and shut down any thoughts about love if you don't want them. Or equally, to choose to let that feeling grow. And the other aspect of love I wanted to address is the process of moving on from someone. Which, in my opinion, is almost entirely a choice. Yes, it's possible to naturally move on from someone you love and fall out of love, but more commonly, you're not going to get over someone unless you make the conscious decision, the conscious choice to move on and force yourself to get over it. You know, you could choose to still be stuck on someone, thinking about them all the time, choosing to remain in love, but you could also choose to pick yourself up and forget about them. It probably takes effort, but when it comes to moving on, while the initial feeling of love might be something that happens out of your control, the process of getting out of those feelings and getting out of that mindset is, I think, a choice that you have to commit to in order to stop feeling love. I think I broadly agree with your point that it is both kind of 
a choice and a feeling. I think in a different context in to your way, I think a lot of relationships start because you both kind of feel, you know, love for each other. And in things like marriage, I think you can marry them and still be completely in love with them. But I think it's inevitable if it's a long lasting marriage that you'll go through a rough patch where you might not feel the same love for them. But in those moments, you still choose to be with them because even if you don't feel it at the time, you know deep down that you still love this person and you're waiting and hoping that you feel this feeling again even though it's not there at the moment. Although obviously there are obviously cases where you don't feel love anymore and that's it. And that's also fine. So I think I think it's person to person. Some people very much place the value of love on being able to feel it. But I definitely think that it's not possible to always, you know, say that you love someone and have that same feeling of fondness every single time. Because I don't think there's any relationship platonic, romantic, familial, whatever, that doesn't go through a hard time where you don't look at this person you love and feel, you know, overwhelming fondness for them because you're going through a hard time. And that's also okay. And I think it's in those moments that you can make the choice whether you continue to love this person or you just, you know, walk away. Now, I've been hearing this term soulmate thrown around a lot. And Yasmin, I know this topic gets quite the rise out of you, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say on this. In your opinion, is there such thing as a soulmate or kindred spirit? So I don't know if this is a hot take or anything, but I don't understand how the concept of a soulmate is romantic, you know? You have this one person you're destined to be with and if you never meet them or if you die or if it doesn't work out because do soulmate relationships just not take as much work as a normal relationship? Like how does that work? Like if you both decide you don't want it, are you still soulmates? Ignoring all of that, does it mean that unless you meet this one person you're lonely forever, you're incomplete, your life is meaningless? It's such a depressing concept. There is nothing romantic about your life being confined to, you know, solitude and desperation because you just didn't meet the one, you know? I mean, if there are such things as soulmates, I definitely don't think they're limited to one person and I don't think they just are. I think they are created like any good relationship, you know? If you have, if you meet someone and you feel a connection but don't put the effort in, I don't think they could become your soulmate, but someone who you might not have had an instantaneous connection with, but over time you grow to love them and you truly become, you know, kindred spirits, I think you could definitely call that person a soulmate. And it doesn't even have to be romantic, you know? I mean, in addition to the whole thing, like, there are seven billion people in the world and you are seriously telling me that I am only going to find one other person who I am going to, you know, enjoy spending my time with wholeheartedly to the point where I would say that, yep, this, this person is one of my soulmates, you know? It doesn't make any sense. Yes, thank you for that impassioned speech, Yasmin. I do quite agree with you. And I think largely the reason I don't agree with this concept of soulmates is because it suggests that you and the other person were just destined to meet. And as soon as you saw them, or as soon as you had a conversation, you just knew you were two peas in a pod. And you touched on this, and I'd like to expand. I don't think it's possible to just stumble across someone and be like, they're my soulmate. Because having a soulmate relationship with someone is something that you build and create over many hours or months or years. I do think it's possible for people to end up feeling like they have a special connection that's so strong, they feel as though they were destined to meet. 
But what they forget is how long or how many hardships and happy experiences together, etc., that the people had to go through to grow this bond. And therefore, I think the process of becoming effectively soulmates with someone is actually very gradual. And because of this factor of how much time you've spent together, which I consider an important part in making two people have a kindred spirit connection, I actually think quite a number of people in the world could in theory become your soulmate if you spent enough time with them. And that the notion that there's only one person out there out of the seven billion in the world who you could build a bond that strong with is just false. You may only have one person who you consider to be your soulmate, but that doesn't mean there's only one person in the entire world who could ever potentially have been your soulmate. That being said, the word soulmate or kindred spirit does make me feel quite sparkly inside. On the topic of making relationships work, do you think that it is a good thing to change for someone who you love? I think when addressing this question, we can actually go back to our introduction, which was about Greece. And every time I watch that movie, I can't help but feel like something's slightly wrong at the end, when Sandy, the pure, innocent, shy girl, undertakes a total transformation into becoming a cool, confident girl, just so that she can end up with Danny. And I just think that's really unhealthy. Here's an example of someone who just totally changed herself and her values just so that she could be with the person she loves. And you could argue, ah, she's compromising so that she fits him better. But it's only a compromise if both people change to some extent to match the other in the middle. But in this case, Danny didn't change at all. It was just Sandy. And I think that brings me to the wider point of it's fine to change to an extent for someone you love as long as it's not a one-sided change. If it's always the same person having to adapt and change themselves in major ways to suit the other person, then it's no longer healthy because they're not, there's not enough balance in the relationship. Although there is the argument that if they don't mind changing themselves because they love the other person, then that's fine. And I think, yes, I suppose that's fine, changing if you don't mind, but you shouldn't always be the one having to change yourself because that indicates perhaps that you're not in a perfectly matched relationship. And the other case study that I wanted to bring up was about compromise. I haven't actually watched this season of The Office, but my friend told me that one character is following his ambitions and working in a job that's quite far away in a career that's much more rewarding for him. But it means he gets to see a lot less of his wife. And the wife feels as though he's not spending enough time with her, so she asks him to leave his better job and go back to his boring old one so that he can spend time with his wife. And the friend who told me this story said the wife was being selfish. She's asking him to give up on his ambitions just so that she can see more of him. That's the sort of thing that she said. In other words, the wife was asking her husband to change his life in order to suit her. But I think it's not selfish. It's okay to ask things of your partner, because if it's affecting how you feel and the state of your relationship then I think she has the right to ask him to change his life for the benefit of their love. And Yasmin and I talked about this, and we both agreed that the most important thing is to express how you feel to the other person. So I say, if it was affecting her, she had every right to ask him to go back to his old job, even if it sounds like a selfish request. Yeah, I definitely think that raising issues in a relationship is 
very important because a lot of the time when you don't raise these issues they kind of just snowball and don't end up resolved and before you know it you'll have like 500 things that you're annoyed about and the other person is completely unaware about it but going back to the topic of changing for love i think an even more problematic way you can change for love is when the other person doesn't even love you or in fact they might not even know you how many times have we watched movies where the lead has overgone a complete like a makeover scene they've been coached how to speak and how to act around this person just to have a shot at them even noticing and although i think in some ways it speaks to how much this person you know really likes this other person and there's nothing wrong with trying to express your feelings like that but i don't think it's very healthy because if you go into a relationship with someone under a disguise almost because maybe you've gone undergoing this makeover naturally and you really do feel comfortable in this new skin but a lot of the time the lead isn't comfortable you know they're, they're, they're acting and i don't think going into a relationship on false pretenses is ever a good sign because the other person doesn't even know you really there's nothing wrong with evolving and becoming a better person because this person you love has changed you and i ultimately think that love will change you regardless whether you like it or not but when you're purposely changing yourself to the point where you don't even retain some of your core values just to love this person easier or try and win this person's affections you're not only lying to them but you're also making your life so much harder because like i said if you're with someone for a long time you will have moments where you don't love them anymore or have the feeling of love because you're going through a hard time and in those moments where you really think it's worth sacrificing your values and what you believe in for this person to the point where you're uncomfortable about it and i think for most people or definitely for me the answer would be no like i said before i do think that love changes you as a person whether you like it or not but i think most healthy relationships are based on the fact that you love this other person for who they are flaws and everything and I don't think it is a healthy relationship if you're kind of manufacturing yourself to the point where it isn't you anymore. Alright, I think it's high time that we talk about animals. Yasmin, do you think that any other animal can experience love like we humans do? I want to start by saying that I don't think any two humans experience love the same way, so I think it's pretty obvious in my eyes that humans and animals definitely don't experience love the same way. I don't think any species experience love the same way. I don't think any two members of the species experience love in the same way. So no, I don't think we experience love in the same way. However, just because it's different, or the fact that they're animals, I don't think it means that they love any less than us, you know? They might not be able to think as much, but I think the base feelings are definitely still there. You know, who's to say one love is deeper than another because they can't think about it? I sometimes think that some of the greatest displays of love can be seen through the animal kingdom. Have you ever seen one of those videos of like a mother swan protecting her nest? It is incredible, you know? And even though they might not be able to express it in what music, poetry, whatever, I think it's so obvious that the love is still there, you know? I take your points and I think they're totally valid. But coming back to something I said earlier, I just feel that human love is so much deeper and more complex than any other animal is capable of. Yes, a dog might be able to feel a very pure, simple affection to its owner, for instance, 
but I don't think it has the emotional capacity to truly fall in love like we humans do. Its emotions are pretty basic and straightforward, and no one is going to convince me otherwise. And on that note, I think that's a good way to end not just our episode, but also our season. I'll just reiterate what Yasmin said at the beginning of the episode, that as the 10th episode, this concludes season one, which is very exciting. And our next season will feature a series of guest speakers, so please stay tuned. And if you're listening to this and you'd like to feature as a guest speaker, please do get in touch with either me or Yasmin and maybe start to think about what you'd like to talk about in your episode. Make it something ideally which you can bring your own unique perspective to. So either something that's personal to you or something you've learnt or read a lot about. But going back to the love episode, next time you're in a park with a bunch of barking dogs, question... I wonder if they're feeling the same intensity of love that we humans do. And with that, let's end this season. Over and out.